as J.E. read for us, uh, reminding us of the, the warnings that come from chapter 7, uh, just highlighting them again, because those are really what we focused in on last week, where verse number 9, we understand the warning is, do not react when you can respond. Then in verse number 10, the warning was, do not dwell on the things of the past. Verses 16 and 18, the warning was, do not be extreme. And then verses 21 and 22, we see the warning about, uh, do not be oversensitive. Uh, Outside of those warnings, we began in chapter 7 by looking at all the observations uh, that the preacher gave to us. And so, to highlight those, just real fast. Verse 1 was, uh, honor is better than luxury. And then the second half of verse 1, we see that death is better than birth. Verse number 2, we see that mourning is better than feasting. Verses 3 and 4, that sorrow is better than laughter. Verses 5 and 6, we see where rebuke is better than praise. Verses 7 and 8, patience is better than pride. Then verses 11 and 12, wisdom is better than wealth. You'll notice that as we've gone through uh, chapter 7, rather than going specifically verse by verse, we've looked at three major sections to this. And so it began with the comparisons, then last week were the warnings, and now today we'll finish out chapter 7 and by looking at three separate considerations that were made by the preacher. So we begin, first of all, that we are to consider what God has done. Let's pick up at verse number 13 this morning. Verse 13 says, Consider the work of God, for who is able to straighten what He has bent? So as we consider the work of God, we soon become aware that all in life is not as straightforward or direct as we might expect. Sometimes the the crookedness of life or the injustice uh, of so many things that we encounter in this world, sometimes those things seem to contradict the justice and the sovereignty of God. And so rather than trying to explain away these seeming contradictions, the preacher prepares us to live with them. And the way that we're to prepare to live with them is in the pursuit of wisdom. You see, wisdom helps to give us perspective. Wisdom helps us to accept God's sovereign decisions and directions in life. Wisdom protects us uh, from discouragement when times are difficult. Wisdom prevents us from, uh, from arrogance for when the times in life are well. It takes a great deal of wisdom to be able to accept both um, prosperity and adversity. And so remember what the preacher has already told us back in chapter 6, verse number 10. He says, it is pointless to strive with one who is stronger than we are. So arguing with God or, or striving with God is a sheer waste of our energy and our efforts. Wisdom helps us to accept and to acknowledge that God knows and does what is best. So when it comes down to it, 
We, on our own, cannot straighten out all of the immoral, lawless, or violent actions of others. On our own, we cannot straighten out the the terrible consequences that come from sinful behavior. On our own, we cannot straighten out all the, the natural disasters that we experience in this life. Natural disasters. These things that uh, God either allowed or ordained, sometimes we can't reconcile these things on our own. And so the preacher says, for, for who is able to straighten what he has bent? The answer to the question no one. We cannot straighten what God has meant. We, we cannot change what God has ordained. And so wisdom reminds us of God's sovereign rule over everything. Wisdom reveals unto us that God will work everything out according to, to three things. That God will work everything according to His own purpose. God will work everything according for His own glory. And God will work everything according to the good of His people. So Paul writes about ex- exclusively in, in Romans chapter 8, verses 18-30. through 30. And so when we fail to understand what God is doing, or when we fail to, to make sense over why something is happening, then it's in moments like this that, that we can rest in the knowledge that He is faithful. And we can trust Him. Because He ultimately holds all things in control. God uniquely balances our lives by giving us enough blessings to, to keep us happy, while also giving us enough burdens to keep us humble. Look at verse number 14 says that in the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man will not discover anything that will be after him. So wisdom reminds us that God brings forth both prosperity and adversity into our lives. And so yes, we should be happy and enjoy those mountaintop experiences of life. And when, notice I said when, not if, but when we we come off of those mountaintop experiences and we enter into those valleys of life, then we should trust in the sovereign care and control of our Heavenly Father. And so the difficulties and the sufferings of this life are in a sense extremely beneficial for us. They are ordained and used by God to to refine us and to mature us. So the preacher is trying to make it clear that, that we need the funerals. We need the sorrows. We need the rebukes in life so that we might become fully mature believers in Christ. So while none of these things are necessarily pleasant, each of these things are beneficial and essential for our growth and development. 
And so I love how the, the preacher is totally committed to telling us the truth about all aspects of life. And here he tells us that sometimes things in life seem desperately unfair. Look at verse number 15. He says, I've seen everything during my lifetime of futility. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. There's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. In a world that is governed by a good and righteous God, this is the exact opposite of what people might expect to receive from God. The righteous people are the ones that ought to rejoice in their prosperity. While, while the wicked, well, they should suffer adversity until they're forced to admit that, that God is in control of all things. But all too often, what we see in life is what the preacher saw in life. Righteous people dying before their times, and the wicked and ungodly are the ones that kept on living. These injustices are, are some of the crooked things in life that we wish that we could straighten out. We wish that we could make sense of. But we can't. And so we are to consider what God has done. And then we ought to consider the reality of mankind. Earlier in, in this chapter, going back to verse number 12, uh, the preacher tells us that wisdom uh, gives us protection and preserves lives. Here, he tells us that wisdom helps to make us strong. Looking at verse number 19, he writes these words. Wisdom strengthens a wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. So, so most cities would be fortunate to have one wise leader to guide and to protect the people. But, but in this analogy, there are ten good rulers to govern the city and the people. And, and so, in this simple analogy, a wise person is compared to as having the strength of a well-governed city. And so some of the things that we learned from this is that wisdom governs our thoughts. Wisdom governs our thoughts. You see, a wise person knows how to think about things in a God-centered way. From God's perspective, not from our perspective. So wisdom governs our thought. Wisdom governs the will. A wise person knows what, what choices to make that will honor and please our Heavenly Father. And so wisdom governs the will. Wisdom governs the speech of a person. A wise person knows what to say as well as what not to say. And the wisdom governs our action. A wise person knows what to do in each and every circumstance or situation that they face. Now you understand that nothing limits our effectiveness for the Lord more than sin. Nothing robs us of joy more than being slaved to uh, some sinful habit. 
Nothing harms our testimony more than living lives that contradict both the will and the word of God. Thankfully, the the penalty for sin has already been taken care of. It has already been addressed by our Savior at Calvary. But nevertheless, sin's presence continues to be a force that must be dealt with in our lives. And this is where wisdom comes in. Wisdom is a powerful weapon in the war against sin. Why? Well, wisdom helps us to know what is right. Wisdom helps us to recognize uh, the difference between what is right and what is wrong in the sight of our Heavenly Father. Wisdom alerts us to the dangers that lie ahead of us. Wisdom prompts us to to consider uh, the, the outcome of our actions before we actually take action. Wisdom helps us to respond rather than to react. Wisdom helps us to identify and ultimately avoid temptations. Wisdom alerts us to the deceptions and the traps of the evil one. Then you understand that that the best weapon for us against this in this war against sin is uh, the pursuit, the understanding of godly wisdom, because we must engage in the battle. Whether you recognize it, whether you understand it, we are at war with the enemy, and sin stands ready to attack and to destroy each and every one of us. Therefore, we must deal with sin. We we have to. We can't avoid the confrontation uh, with sin. It is a battle that we must engage in day in and day out. At, At least until that day when we are finally and fully transformed into the likeness of our Lord and Savior. Until that day happens, we are in a constant battle and we must fight against sin. And wisdom will help to prepare us for that battle. So, thirdly, looking down at verse number 23, may we consider what sin has done. Verse 23 says, I tested all this with wisdom. And I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. What has been is remote and exceedingly mysterious. Who can discover it? And so the preacher has, has mentioned his use of wisdom in examining the world. And in doing so here, he clearly admits to what he has often implied in his writing. Because here, he clearly says that his wisdom is insignificant for the task of testing all things. He understands that he is limited in his knowledge and limited in his understanding. And so verse number 24 particularly mentions the phrase, what has been. In other words, he's talking about prior human history. And so when he says that what has been, or prior human history, and when he says that that is remote, or exceedingly mysterious, 
He's revealing that he fails to understand or to comprehend the full significance of what has happened. And so the question, who can discover it, is a rhetorical question that assumes, again, a negative response. And so the implied negative response of no one, well, that does not mean that we are incapable of understanding anything. No, rather, he's, he's saying that a comprehensive understanding of all things in life will often elude us beyond our ability to fully comprehend and understand. But even in acknowledging that, verse 25, he says, I directed my mind to know, to investigate, and to seek wisdom and an explanation, and to know the evil of folly and the foolishness of madness. And I discovered more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are chains. One who is pleasing to God will escape her, but the sinner will be captured by her. And so while the preacher is honest about his inability to completely understand the reasons that all things happen in this world, he does indicate that it is at least possible to gain a partial insight into the reality of God's world or into the reality of the workings of God. In verse 25, he reiterates his attempts to understand not just wisdom, but to understand the evil of folly and the foolishness of madness. And so what we see is in verse number 24, he announced that, that wisdom was too deep for anyone to ever get to the bottom of. Right? But, but verse 25, he tells us, but keep on looking. Keep searching, keep investigating, keep seeking after that wisdom. And so, as children of God, we should seek to understand the difference between the wise way to live life and the foolish way to live our lives. And so the preacher, in his discovery, in his observations, his searching, he ultimately leads him to discover the darkest mystery and the deepest problem of all humanity, and that is the depravity of the human heart. When you understand that in, in one way or another, all of the troubles of life come back to the problem or the existence of sin. Those who, who prefer to give in to sin rather than to resist it, according to the preacher, says that they will be captured by the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are chains. But the godly will escape her. The godly will recognize the, the trap, the bait of, of sin. The godly will exercise godly wisdom to avoid it and to overcome it. 
And so he says in verse number 27, Behold, I have discovered this, says the preacher, adding one thing to another to find an explanation, which I am still seeking but have not found. I have found one man among a thousand, but I have not found a woman among all of these. Now, before we begin to accuse the preacher of being sexist, uh, we need to uh, see these verses in their total context. We understand that taken as a whole, the Bible has much to say, if not more to say, about sinful men than it does about sinful women. The Bible praises many godly women. There are beautiful chapters in the Bible. Um, chapters like Psalm chapter 45 that talks about the beautiful bride. Or Proverbs chapter 31 that deal with the, the virtuous woman. And, and so this is not an anti-woman type of statement made from the preacher. And so although he doesn't come right out and say it, the implication seems to be that the preacher went on an intentional mission to discover righteous people among him. He says that out of a thousand men, he can only found one who did not disappoint him. And out of a thousand women, he found none at all. He's not saying that, that men are, are more righteous than women. No, he's saying that when it comes down to it, there are scarcely any righteous people at all. And so the, the preacher has discovered this, this tragic fact. All humans are sinful, wicked. He's understanding it. He says, verse number 29, Behold, I have found only this. God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. I would say that in many ways, chapter 7, verse number 29, represents the theological center of this entire book. I mean, the preacher has already made many useful and valid discoveries along the way. He shared some of those, and he'll continue to share more discoveries. But when he says that I have found only this, he's making a distinction between the most important discovery that he has received. The most important observation for him to make it is the discovery that he found and understood that God created man to be upright. But people rejected the plan of God and followed after their own way. God is not to blame for humanity's wickedness. God is, is not to blame for the depravity of mankind. God did not create people to be selfish, to be immoral, to be lawless, or to be violent. No, God created humans to be righteous. 
to be decent, to be moral, to be honorable, ultimately to be faithful and obedient to His will. But people, oh, we have our own ideas. We have our own plans. We have our own agendas. And instead of remaining faithful to God, we rebelliously rejected Him and chased after our own thing. Instead of being faithful to to follow the path that God has created for us, we live our lives as we wish, seeking to carve out our own path in life. The rebellion against God has been beautifully narrated for us in Genesis chapter 3. We'll see that the origin of all of the frustration and the corruption that we experience in this world is sin. Apart from Christ, we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. Apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead and completely unable to do anything about our deadness. Apart from Christ, we are totally depraved. We are wicked, godless, immoral, vile people. Apart from Christ, we are unable to do anything about our fallen nature. Our only hope is not that our sinful nature would be rehabilitated. No, our only hope is that our sinful nature would be crucified and that we would be given a new nature in Christ Jesus. That is our only hope. So even if you do not possess all of the wisdom to solve the deepest mysteries of life, even if you lack the wisdom to to figure out everything that there is to know about our place in the times of this world, we should at least be wise enough to see the sin in our own hearts. Wise enough to submit and surrender our lives to the Lord and Savior. Wise enough to pursue a life of faithful obedience to His Word and His will. You see, true wisdom is found in turning to Christ and trusting in Christ. So the question is, are you truly wise? Have you turned to Christ and put your trust in Christ? If you have, are you walking in faithful obedience to His Word and to the will of the Father? If you're not, may you confess that sin, repent from that sin, and to walk in the freshness and the newness of life. Let us pray, church. Heavenly Father, thank You for another day, another opportunity to to, to share your word. Thank you for the beautiful words written by the preacher given unto us to guide us, to encourage us, to equip us, and to challenge us. And in this moment, right now, Father, 
I pray that we consider, are we truly wise? Have we turned to your Son and put our trust and faith in Him? Or are we still seeking to do it our own way? Father, I pray that as your Spirit moves among and within us, that we would rightly respond to your word today. Indeed and in action, Father, help us to, to honor and to glorify you. Help us to live a life of faithful obedience unto you. Help us to, in the midst of the valleys of life, Father, not to be discouraged, not to be frustrated, but help us to, to remind ourselves that ultimately you will work all things out according to your will, according for your glory, and according for the good of your people. Father, help us to trust that. Help us to embrace the, the heaviness that life has, to embrace the sorrows, the funerals, the rebukes, trusting in you that you are building within us a, a, a greater character. And God, help us to live a life that truly reflects your love, your grace. When other people see us, may they know that we are different, not because of who we are or what we do, but all because of you and what you have done for us and what you are doing in us. So God, be with us during this time. May you be honored and may you be pleased by the response of your people. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.